I'm in a room that not many people just casually pay a visit to. It's called a surgery recovery room, and it looks a bit like a hospital room that you'd see on TV. There's a gurney and lots of complicated-looking medical equipment. There's also a big sliding glass door taking up almost an entire wall. It's covered with sparkly, stick-on decorations that I think are supposed to be planets. And on the other side of it, patients, in this case all children, are waking up from surgery. To be honest, I feel pretty out of place here. This is definitely not my world. But the person I'm talking to is in his element. His name is Dr. Dan Lowe. And Dan is an anesthesiologist. That means he gives patients all the medication and anesthesia that they need during a surgery. It's a really important role. And we're actually talking here, in this room, because he's on call. He can step through that sliding glass door and be in an operating room in about 10 seconds. And as a reminder of that, the pager clipped to his waist keeps going off in the middle of our conversation. Sorry. Okay, I'll be back in five minutes. Go for it. (laughs) That is Dan stepping away from our interview to help another doctor finish a high-risk surgery. And that's the kind of person Dan is. He's totally dedicated to his work. You can tell just by talking to him how much he loves being a doctor. But this story isn't really about Dan the doctor. It's about Dan, the accidental, reluctant entrepreneur. Because a few years ago, Dan realized there's a lot he's not doing to help his patients. In fact, he was totally ignoring a really big factor in modern healthcare, data. Dan realized that hospitals have a huge blind spot because the doctors working there can't use the hospital's data to improve their work. They don't have basic business analytics. So Dan decided to fix that. From GeekWire.com in Seattle, I'm Claire McGrain. Welcome to Health Tech, where we tell you the stories behind cutting-edge health innovation. Today, we're going to follow Dan as he asks a simple question about how to do his job better and ends up launching a technology company right from his own kitchen table. Stay with us. Support for Health Tech comes from Seattle Children's, whose pioneering research institute is not only changing medicine, but creating life-saving therapies for pediatric diseases such as cancer, type 1 diabetes, sickle cell anemia, and many more. Seattle Children's. Hope. Care. Cure. Today, Dan is running his own startup that uses data science to help doctors do their jobs more effectively. It's called MD Metrics. But before we get into that story, I have a quick disclaimer. Dan works at Seattle Children's Hospital, and Seattle Children's is also sponsoring this season of Health Tech. Now, this is actually a coincidence. The hospital was not involved in us doing this story in any way, other than approving my request to come interview Dan on campus. I actually first met Dan through my neighbor. He's a mutual acquaintance. Dan also wanted me to say that he isn't speaking as a representative of Seattle Children's. He's just talking to me as a career doctor and an entrepreneur. Okay, disclaimer done. So let's go back in time. Way, way back to the spring of 2016. Okay, it's not so far back, but to anyone with even a passing knowledge of data science, Dan's experience in 2016 might seem like it is from decades ago. He was at work one day when his boss came to him and said, look, we started using a new drug in this one kind of surgery we do. I want to know, is it working better than the old one? It seemed like a really easy problem to solve initially because in the last five years, the hospitals become 100% digitized. So that data lives 
somewhere and exists as a digital format, we thought it'd be really easy to just call up someone and ask them to surface that data and tell us. So Dan got to work trying to figure out, does drug A work better than drug B? To do that, he needs to measure things like patients' pain scores after they wake up from surgery, how long they stayed in the hospital, but he can't access that data himself. So here is what he had to do. The first thing is calling up our clinical analytics department and trying to get an appointment with one of the analysts. There's a wait time just to engage an analyst. So then I have to explain what it is I'm trying to get from this data mountain. And they convert what I say as a physician into programming speak, and they start writing code to extract this data. Inevitably, what comes back is, is not quite what I was thinking it would be, and so there's a little back and forth. Eventually, the data comes back and you get this big spreadsheet, and then you have to get the analysis done. So then you have to sit down with a statistician and then explain what the spreadsheet is and explain what question you're trying to ask. And that takes time and effort. And once they do that, then they look at your data and then they come back and write a report. From asking a question, what seems like a really simple question is drug A versus drug B. We've just switched our protocol. Is it better or worse? That can take a 15 to 20 weeks to surface that answer. This four-month process involved three different employees working for a total of 90 hours. In the end, it turns out the new drug was about as effective as the old one, and the hospital decided not to change anything. But imagine if the drug was actually working worse, or if it worked about the same but cost three or four times as much. Four months is a long time to wait before you have that information, especially when more patients are having that procedure every single day. Unfortunately, this is kind of how it works. Dan's experience isn't unique. Accessing data inside a healthcare system is notoriously difficult. We've now spoken to hospitals across the country in Columbus, Ohio. We've spoken to hospitals in D.C., um, Florida, and everyone is experiencing the same pain point. I've had chief research informatics officers tell me from other leading places it takes 100 days to surface data, 100 to 150 days just to surface data without the analysis, just to get the raw data. What we've learned is that this is a problem that the entire industry uh, has. It's a blind spot. The business analytics that every other modern business takes for granted, clinicians don't have. So Dan knew that there was a problem here. But he's a doctor, not a data scientist. He wasn't really sure what to do. But he was determined that something needed to change. He started asking around at the hospital, and eventually he met Ryan Souza. Ryan has led teams at companies like Amazon, Expedia, and Starbucks, and he's now the chief data officer at Seattle Children's. So two years ago, Ryan and I sat down in a Starbucks, and I sketched out my idea on a napkin. And he goes, Dan, you're, you're describing what the rest of the industries do, A-B testing for analytics. And he told me this amazing story of what happened in all these other industries over the last 15, 20 years. And and he said, why not healthcare? And so we sat down and we, we go, okay, well, it's, what would this look like? And so, um, so Ryan was, I really credit him with unlocking it. By the way, Dan has held on to that literal back of the napkin business plan. You can go to geekwire.com slash health tech to see a photo of it. So Dan is now a man with a plan. That conversation with Ryan will eventually lead him to found what is now MD Metrics, Seattle Children's first spin-out company. But let's press pause on this story and talk about why all of this is necessary in the first place. Well, healthcare data isn't necessarily easy to use. It's, it's highly regulated, for one thing. And 
people that work with it are somewhat scared about it when they come into the industry. That's Jim Harding. He is a longtime technology executive, and he's now the CEO of Multiscale Health Networks. It's a new company, and it's built a cloud data platform for healthcare data. The idea is to make it more accessible. I should also say the company is a joint venture by Providence St. Joseph Health and Codonis, a computational biology company. I spoke to Jim and Multiscale's chief product officer, Stacey Kincaid, at their office in Swedish Hospital. Jim's point about healthcare data being highly regulated is really important. There are incredibly strict laws that govern how healthcare data can be stored and shared, and for good reason. This is sensitive data, and it's important to be careful with it. But there's another big roadblock when it comes to using healthcare data, and it has to do with the technology, the Electronic Health Record System, or EHR. Historically, the databases that some of the more popular EHRs are based on are in hierarchical databases, not relational. This is a super technical distinction, but it's an important one. Hierarchical databases, the ones that hospitals use, are organized like trees. There are branching paths that organize data through what's called parent-to-child relationships. So every piece of data can have only one parent it's connected to. This is the original way of organizing databases. It goes all the way back to the 1960s. But in the 1990s, a new kind of database became the de facto standard, relational databases. This kind of database is much more flexible. It draws more connections between pieces of data. And it's also what most business intelligence software is built on, applications like Tableau, which lets you visualize data. So over this 20, 30-year period, all these great products were being built on top of relational databases, but not a single product was built on top of these hierarchical databases. And so what you see in healthcare is they take the hierarchical data and they convert it into a relational database. They call that ETL, Extract, Transform, and Load. And that process has it in and of itself a latency problem. So if you have the data going in right now in real time, and then you have some overnight process that has you look at data in some other database and then use different tools on that, you sort of separated the data going in from the analytics part. This whole process, and the fact that relational databases are the basis for most applications, it makes analyzing hospital data incredibly hard, even for a specialist. For a layperson like Dan, it would take all but a miracle to understand that data on his own. And when it comes to running a hospital, that is a big problem, because people like Dan are the ones who need the data. And the fact is we can't change what we can't see that's Stacy, Multiscale's chief product officer. The care teams themselves can't change what they can't see. So we allow them to see the data, communicate and collaborate on the data, and then problem solve together to get that patient better care, to get them into that room, to get them that CT scan, right? So much of it in healthcare right now is so basic. In some ways, Multiscale is trying to do the same thing that Dan is, but their focus isn't on evaluating drugs and protocols. They want to use real-time data to make the actual operations of a hospital run more efficiently. Why aren't you able to use all this data that's being generated for operational decision-making? It's a common phrase to say, like, what does it take to get a bed around here in a hospital? That seems like a silly statement, but it's actually a serious statement. You know, why does it take so long to discharge a patient? That seems like a very simple thing to do. It's very complicated. You can read all kinds of academic white papers on how to optimize discharge processes. Well, part of that is that people don't have access to all the information, and healthcare is fundamentally a social and communication endeavor. And so what you need to do is get all the data 
as it's being generated into a platform that people can consume, these care teams can consume, so they can use that data to determine what to do. One of the first challenges Multiscale tackled was emergency rooms. They've built an application that helps ER care teams see data on every patient in an ER, what they need, and how long they've been there. Normally, this information only exists on some pieces of paper that are in lots of different physical locations, and sometimes it's not really tracked at all. Stacy was really clear about their goal of building technology like this. They don't want to change how the healthcare system works. They don't want to disrupt the system or what it's trying to do. They just want to make what it already does work better. I mean, really, do you want to disrupt healthcare? I don't think so, right? I mean, we we don't. We want to allow the providers to disrupt themselves, right? I, I get that healthcare is in a change or die, you know, type of situation. But the last thing you want is a bunch of arrogant, sorry, but really like arrogant technologists coming in from the outside and beating their chest and saying, we're going to disrupt you. I mean, it took me like three years to understand what healthcare is. You don't want us coming in and disrupting, but what we do want is to enable, to provide that bridge, to provide that new way that allows them to transform themselves. The kind of internal transformation that Stacy is describing, that's exactly what Dan is trying to do. After the break, we're going to jump back into Dan's story as he tries to make his back-of-the-napkin idea into an actual, real-life software product. We'll be right back on Health Tech. GeekWire's Health Tech Podcast is brought to you by Seattle Children's Research Institute. I'm speaking with Dr. Courtney Crane. She is a principal investigator at the Bentown Center for Childhood Cancer Research at Seattle Children's Research Institute. She and her team are genetically re-engineering large white blood cells to recognize and destroy tumor cells. Why do you work at Seattle Children's? You know, this is really a unique culture in that we feel so supported as researchers here by our non-scientific community, by our leadership at the Research Institute, by our clinical partners at the hospital, and by other research organizations within Seattle. It really helps us be able to kind of collaborate openly. People aren't protective about their work. They're much more interested in working together, realizing that um, all hands on deck means less work for everybody and, and kind of our best ideas come from that collective. Dr. Courtney Crane is a principal investigator at Seattle Children's Research Institute. To find out more, go to seattlechildrens.org research. Welcome back. Today, we are following Dr. Dan Lowe on his journey to empower doctors with real-life data. When we left him in the spring of 2016, he had just sketched out his idea on the back of a Starbucks napkin. Within a few months, Dan had convinced the Seattle Children's Executive Board to incubate and support the idea, and he teamed up with his co-founder, a software engineer named Matthew Gose. He actually uh, was working for another software company in town and wanted to do something more meaningful. Um, he wanted the right code that made a difference to people's lives. And he asked me straight up, he said, do you have any ideas? You know, I'm looking for a big idea. The timing could not have been better. Dan was right in the middle of his months-long pain cycle, as he calls it, trying to get data to figure out which drug works better. He described the whole process to Matthew. And he says, this has got software written all over this. In fact, it's not even that difficult. Dan and Matthew hired three developers, and they were off to the races. 
But unlike his new colleagues, Dan is not a developer. He doesn't have any background in coding or building technology. And he's the kind of person MD Metrics is trying to serve. So when we designed the product, it had to be designed for a physician. So one of the briefs, engineering briefs, I sat down when I sat down with Matthew to design this. He said, it has to be as easy as VRBO. At the time, we were actually booking a vacation home uh, for a week, and I had my then 11-year-old book a VRBO for us. And I I gave him the specs and said, we need a three-bedroom house that would take a dog and has a hot tub (laughs) available between these weeks. So accessing the database, although there's thousands and thousands of patients, can you segment that as easily so you could you could use a series of filters just like booking a vrbo and say i'm interested in four to 16 year olds who had this type of surgery who had this drug who was looked after between these dates and i want to know what their outcome metrics were i want to know how long they stayed in hospital afterwards i want to know what their narcotic requirement was afterwards you know so you know how did they do And that allows you to track a series of patients and group them and compare them against another group of patients. But we didn't want the bar to be so high that you had to understand all this complex math. I just want to know the answer. So the software actually just gives you the answer. If it spots a trend, it said there's a trend, it highlights it, and you have your answer. So it really boils down to if you change a protocol, if you add a new drug or you take a drug away, you really want to know the effect of that change. Did it make your outcomes better? Did it make it worse? Did it not make a difference? And you want to be able to track that in near real time, and that's what we now have the ability to do. MD Metrics launched its software inside Seattle Children's, and it's become the hospital's first spin-out. It's also looking to expand into other hospital systems, although that process takes a little bit of time. Dan said his coworkers in the operating room use this software all the time. Sometimes they're just trying to figure out which doctor has the best outcomes so they can learn from them. And for all his talk of pain cycles and industry standard and his business plan, Dan isn't your normal entrepreneur, and he's definitely not your normal CEO. In fact, he told me he doesn't even want to be a CEO, not full-time at least. That's why he never quit his day job, and he doesn't want to. He's built MD Metrics into a fledgling startup just as a side gig, working on evenings and weekends. He also doesn't take a salary. He's just doing all of this so that he and his colleagues can do right by their patients. I don't want to make a, an intuitive decision whether to adopt something in my personal practice of medicine. I want to make a database decision. And often that data is not there, except it is. All the data is there if you know how to look for it. So that there's this new concept of real-world data. Uh, real-world data is all the data metrics about your health that are collected not as part of a trial, just because we're taking care of you. When you go and see your doctor, we measure your blood pressure. Not because we're doing a trial, just because we're taking care of you. We want to know what your blood pressure is. You know, Behind me in PACU, we measure your pain score. Again, not because of a trial, just because we're taking care of you. We should be surfacing that real-world data. If you pressurize that, it becomes real-world evidence. If you put it in the right person's hand, it becomes wisdom, and it can be the catalyst for change. After we finished recording, Dan told me a story that really stuck with me. It's about the doctors at Seattle Children's that treat premature infants. They want to collect metrics on their patients after they check out, things like how long they were on a ventilator. So after hours, on their own time, the doctors will stick around the office, they'll take out a small notebook, and manually compile all that data. Dan said this story broke his heart, because there should be a better way to do this. Doctors shouldn't have to spend hours of their own time trying to get this data that already exists. 
I feel like we're on a tipping point. If you say real-world data, real-world evidence, there's still such new terms in medicine, and they actually are pretty countercultural. Usually in medicine, medical research, the, the pinnacle, the highest level of evidence is your double-blind, prospective, randomized control trial. Well, those rules were written in the 80s, before the internet, before we had big data. Now you can surface potentially tens, if not hundreds of thousands of patients. That might not apply anymore. And if you look at how everyone else works in industry, that is now the highest level of evidence because it's accessible. Um, it's not without its flaws, uh, and we can talk for hours on how do you account for confounders, how do you account for bias, how do you account for lots of things. But the sheer numbers and the sheer speed you can do it is pretty powerful. So we're kind of swimming against the tide a little bit, but I think we'll get there. By the way, I was not joking when I said that Dan doesn't want to be a CEO full-time. Here's what he said when I asked him about it. And I hear you're looking for a replacement for yourself someday. Yes. So, so, so if there's anyone listening out there who's a professional CEO who's willing to work for no salary to help us, um, please get in touch. Uh, Claire has my contact details. <laughs> Dan Lowe is the founder and, for now, the CEO of MD Metrics. That is Metrics with an X, by the way. You can learn more about their work at mdmetrics.com. That's M-D-M-E-T-R-I-X.com. Jim Harding and Stacey Kincaid are executives of Multiscale Health Networks, which you can learn more about at multiscalehn.com. Health Tech is produced and written by me, Claire McGrain, with editing and story help from Todd Bishop. If you want Dan's job or just want to give us feedback on the show, get in touch by emailing podcast at geekwire.com. A big thanks to our season two sponsor, Seattle Children's Research Institute. You can find out more about their work at seattlechildrens.org research. To see all of GeekWire's coverage of science, technology, and geek culture, go to geekwire.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.